Good morning, marketers, and welcome to the If You Market podcast. We are the only podcast that markets the shit out of it. The If You Market podcast is brought to you by Mountaintop Data and Johto PR, and I'm your uh, host, Sky Cassidy, joined by co-host Carla Jo Helms. Hi, guys. Today, we'll be talking with Mitch Duckler of Full Surge about the importance of differentiating your brand. Mitch is a brand strategy consultant with over 25 years of line management and business consulting experience, and he's the author of Amazon.com best-selling book, The Indispensable Brand. Mitch, uh, really happy to have you on to talk about uh, brand uh, and uh, brand differentiation. Brand differentiation today. Uh, thank you, Sky. It's great to be with you. So, as always, before we get into brand differentiation and uh, branding in, in general, um, can you tell us a little more about yourself? Kind of uh, your your background, where you came from, how you got to uh, to to where you're at. Sure. I have about 25 years of experience in brand and marketing strategy, and it's somewhat split between client side and consulting. So I started my career on the client side in brand management, actually, with Unilever and Coca-Cola. And then after about 10 years or so, made the transition into consulting, but still all the same content area, still consulting specifically in the area of brand and, and marketing strategy. Um, and for the last seven years, I've had my own consulting firm, um, along with a number of former colleagues called, as you mentioned, Full Surge. And we do brand strategy consulting, which includes brand positioning, brand architecture, brand extendability, uh, experience, and so forth. I have to say, you're one of my new favorite people because you worked with Coca-Cola, and I think that they have an incredible brand. I think they do incredible PR. Um, and I was born in Atlanta, so I'm a little partial uh, to my Coke, right? Of course. Yeah, yeah, on that, you work for for some large brands. So yeah. you went to business school, right? Uh, that's correct, yes. Right. And you came out of business school and you went straight into large brands. Yeah. How did you, I mean, it seems like establishing a brand, differentiating a brand, you kind of stepped into companies that already had, their branding was really in cement already. When you transitioned out of there to consulting other people on their brands, probably less established brands than Coca-Cola and Unilever. How was that transition for you? I mean, was it, was there a big learning curve in suddenly dealing with brands that weren't so well established? Great question. Yeah, it is a great question. Um, the, the short answer is, is yes and no. So in some cases I was working with brands that weren't quite as established or successful as Coca-Cola, but um, in many cases, I, I still was. Um, a lot of my clients over the years have been Fortune 500 companies, um, and not because I specifically target them necessarily, but those are just the clients that I've come across, and, and not surprisingly, those are the companies that tend to invest most in their brand. So they're coming to us or coming to me, not necessarily because there's a problem or because they don't have a brand that's positioned, but they're looking for a repositioning, they're looking for a refresh, um, they're looking to maybe take their brand in a slightly different direction. So very often they still are established brands, but to your point when they're not, you know, I, and I have done work also with smaller companies and startups, it's, it's a very different challenge. I, I don't think it's necessarily harder. It's just a different issue set. It's building versus managing a brand kind of, um, exactly. Then today's topic, differentiating yourself. I've been thinking a lot about this this recently and how in the B2B space, it seems like um, so many more products are becoming commodities and it's just kind of the natural evolution. If unless you have, I mean, Coke is a commodity. They, they may have a formula in a safe somewhere or they may not. Who cares at this point? It's a cola drink and there's a ton of cola drinks out there 
And if you swap them all around in the cans, I don't think there'd be a huge uproar over, I can't find this magic product anymore. So, I mean, it's a cola drink. It's a very much a commodity. They built an amazing brand around it. In the B2B space, we see all these companies that are, you know, they don't have anything magic that nobody else has. A lot of startups, they start up, even if they have something magic, everyone else can copy it so fast if it's any, if it's anything any good that it and becomes a commodity that they quickly. brand their category instead of differentiating themselves. It's almost like they brand the industry. So they're the same. Right, right. So the B2B space becoming such a commodity, it seems brands, that's when they're really important. So branding is like more important than anything in B2B right now. Everybody's, uh, you know, branding and customer service, it all comes down to because everybody's got the same products. Yeah. Uh, So this differentiating your brand, is it really all about when, I mean, I know maybe if you have a unique product, but if you have the only automobile on the market, you can kind of just say, hey, we have this and nobody else does. Then when everybody's selling kind of the same product, the automobiles now have become kind of a commodity. Everybody has a good car. So now that there's so much branding, not around the horsepower and the towing capacity, but around, you know, how much they love puppies or or whatnot. And we're seeing it in the B2B space now. Everybody has similar products. They're all getting commoditized. The customer wins, which is great, but then the importance of brand comes in and differentiating yourself. Yeah, and I think it's the difference between, you know, is the category a commodity or is the brand? And, you know, in the case of Coca-Cola, for example, you know, you might be able to argue that the cola category is it's a commodity. It's sugar water, right? Um, I would argue that Coca-Cola has a very, very strong brand uh, that sets it apart and can enable it to command a premium price, which I think is one of the key tenets of a strong brand, right? You, you, you have the ability to command a premium price point because you have built something different and special um, and because there is loyalty toward you. But yeah, you're absolutely right. I think the more similar or commoditized any given category is, the more important it is to branding becomes even more so important. Right? But it really makes it real world when you talk about being able to command uh, a higher price. It's almost like how do you measure branding when you have that ability? Do you know that your brand? Do you say okay, great, we have a great brand here, right? You know, are those it, that to me is like the brass tacks, and I've never heard that before, but it makes so much sense. Yeah, I think it's what there's a lot of different measures of brand, right? And brand strength. I, I do think one of them is exactly that. What sort of price premium is a consumer willing to pay over just a category? A category yeah. In their, yeah. So you prevent it from being a price race to the bottom kind of where you're just in an auction with the same pile of grain that everybody else has and it's who's going to sell it for, for yeah. the cheapest. The cheapest, exactly. That's right. And, and that's another telltale sign of commodity, right? You're competing almost entirely on price. Okay, so one of the notes I have here is um, one of the things that we we're going to be talking about are the four means for identifying uh, brand positioning that's differentiated. Um, let's go ahead and jump into that. Can you give us a, an outline on that? Yeah, absolutely. So going back to it, really the dawn of brand management, uh, there it's been conventional wisdom and, and there have been great thought leaders in the space of brand um, recent trout who you may be familiar with that developed the, the initial brand positioning model. You know, they, they said back in the day that, you know, a brand needs to be differentiated based on the end benefit, right? That ultimately it's benefits that customers buy and therefore your primary point of difference should be a benefit. And, 
Um, I think that worked for a number of years when branding was more simple and straightforward. There were fewer, there was less competition, fewer target audiences or stakeholders to serve, um, you know, fewer competitors within uh, any given category and fewer channels, quite honestly. But I think in today, in today's uh, more hyper-competitive world, it's just not that simple anymore. And, and brands need to look to other sources or aspects of the offer for differentiation. And, and I propose four. So I do think that a benefit is still one, right? Mm -hmm. um, that's, that answers the question, what, right? But what is a weaker one, I take it, from what you're uh, saying? Not necessarily. I think weaker depends on the exact situation. So I okay. think it's weaker when the category benefit is generic. Okay. So for, or universal. So for example. <laughs> yeah, give me an example. Yeah, I used to work in hair care. In my early days at Unilever, I worked in the hair care category. And you know, at the end of the day, why do you buy shampoo or conditioners for beautiful hair? I don't, by the way. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's why. <laughs> I do. So. <laughs> why do you? Hey, thanks for pointing it out. You've got a great head of hair. <laughs> For those who buy shampoo and conditioner, yeah, it's, it's largely you buy it because you want great looking hair. And um, that's not differentiating to say, well, our, our product gives you great looking hair. You know, right, that's not. Beautiful right. hair. It's just, you know, who, if, you, if you're not doing that, it's an ante, right? You don't even belong in the category. Right. So what do brands do? Take, you know, they, they differentiate based on the second area that I would call the how. So wait, before we get to the how, so you're saying that that end benefit is really a pre-commodity brand differentiator. It's when you actually have something that separates you from the other people. It's borderline universal, if not an anti, as you're saying. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Okay. It's, yeah. It almost inherently is generic and leads to this condition of monotony that I talk about in the book, grand monotony. It's kind of like in B2B, you know, everybody says their benefits are results, results. We get results, right? To me, that is a universal benefit that's not really a brand differentiator. You don't even know what their product is, but they're going to double your sales. Yeah. <laughs> everybody has that tagline. Unless, you know, the industry's known for not getting results, you know? Just... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so there, there I th what I would say, because I actually do have a lot of B2B clients and we have that exact discussion. Results, no. Now, there are different types of results. So if you want to uh, differentiate based on a benefit in B2B um, and your benefit is results, tell us about your results. Is your results uh, greater sales, increased market share, uh, reduced cost, greater throughput or productivity? Then okay, right? You Because you're actually yeah. talking about a what, a benefit or a result, but you're getting more specific. But if you're just saying better results that everybody else is saying, no, then it's just very generic. And, and it seems to be common sense because those decision makers would say, well, what does that mean? What does results mean? It's like they would be asking the question that would be differentiating. Right. Performance is another word. I have a lot of B2B. Well, the, the, our differentiator is performance. What does that mean? Right. <laughs> there are a lot of different ways that you can excel in performance. Or right? customer service. We have great customer service. Like, yeah, they had a blank line on the form and they needed to put something in. Exactly. Performance is a great word. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Ferrari um, is a performance car and, and, and so is uh, Volvo, right? But they perform right. in very different means. Yeah. So would a good example be something like, and I hate using consumer examples, but it pops to mind, Geico. Um, they can save you money on your insurance, right? But they don't just say saving you money. They say in you know, 10 minutes or less or whatever it is, their, their, yeah. their tagline, they can save you this amount. So they're, they're really pointing out that the end benefit is saving you time in this same thing that everybody else is saying that kind of 
grabbing hold of that as their brand. Like we're convenient and we'll save you money. Right. I, I, th I, I think so. Yep. I have a good B2B one. If they, if they still do that. Remember rack uh, space? We don't, we don't like B2B examples here. Come on, KJ. <laughs> well, remember rack space? I mean, mm -hmm. their customer service brand differentiation was they were fanatics. Their customer service representatives were called fanatics. I think that was fanatical mm -hmm. customer service. That really branded them at one point. I don't know if you guys mm -hmm. are, like, are aware of that or remember them, but so instead of just saying we've got good customer service, like everybody else was saying, they're, they're kind of looking to add that extra layer of owning that. Yeah, they owned that customer service space. So if you actually Google Rackspace fan, it comes up Rackspace fanatical support, fanatical support promise, like mm -hmm. fanatical promise. They, became, they were called fanatics, right? Interesting. Yeah, yeah. So Mitch, is that a way to grab back some of the power for that first kind of differentiator, the end benefit when you're a full commodity to, can you, can you say, okay, yes, we're going to say, um, you know, B2B example, my company mountaintop data. Yes, we have accurate data, but we need to put something extra on top of it, that, that fanatical or save you time or the something, you know, put something extra to really highlight that you're making the same claim and yeah. benefit as everybody else. More specific, I think, is the key, and and not just that you're saying it differently. So, you know, if you can use the word fanatic or loyal or whatever, and it's all kind of the same concept, right? That people like you. It, it needs to be a, a separate idea, but again, it needs to be um, more specific. So it's not just performance; it's productivity or efficiency or increase sales or improve profitability. Those are all aspects of performance, but they're very different, right? And, and they might appeal to different segments, right? Some people might be looking to increase their market share, other people to cut costs and be more profitable, right? So those are, that's, a set, that's an example of, you know, they're, based, they're both what-based and they're both end result, but they're different. Right, so everybody makes good fried chicken, but if you're if your motto is that your fried chicken is so good, you'll want to slap your mom. Um, I don't think I said that right, but uh, it kind of, it's saying the same thing, but adding an extra different, would that count? Or am I still off a little here? I, I, I would say that's more of the messaging than, mm. than it's actually a different position. We're such novices here. I love these questions though, because they're really great. It has to also solve a problem, right? It, well, if it's a what, yes, it should solve a specific or a need. Um, right. So like with, let's go back to Rackspace, you know, they manage, I don't know, like emails for, you know, millions of companies, right? So support must be crappy, right? For them to brand everything around fanatical support, right? And have all their messaging, their images, like everything, you know, kiss, kiss any hope of ever leading a normal life. Like all these like fanatics, if you go to their websites, like here's fanatic number one, here's fanatic number two. That's a brand that solves a problem, right? Yeah. Hmm. Yes. Okay. And it appeals to people who probably have, who, who have a lot of pain around customer service in that space. Uh-huh. So that's the key versus others that may want capacity. Right. right. Others that may just want the cheapest solution or a, a one-stop shop. Those are, you know, you're starting to uh, you talk about different propositions that would appeal to different buyer segments. Yeah. Interesting. So that's, we've spent a lot of time on the first one. Sorry, that's my fault. Our job here, Mitch, is to ask all the dumb questions so the listeners don't have to. 
Um, we, we embarrass ourselves at their, at, at their, at uh, your expense listeners. Um, so moving on to number two, we got end benefit, the what as number one, right? Yep. So if what is number one, I would say how is number two. Okay. So let's, if we, if we just kind of keep the consistency of the example, right? We were talking about hair care, right? And if beautiful hair is, you could argue, maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but let's just say it is a universal benefit. And if you're not offering it, you're not in the category. How says, well, how do we do it, right? So if you, you've heard of Pantene Pro-V, they talk about vitamin rich, pro-vitamins, right? Um, there are other brands that have self-adjusting conditioner, others that use like herbal, um, you know, herbal extracts or whatever. They, they're, they're differentiating not based on the benefit, which is beautiful hair, but their how. And their how can be a process. It can be a technology. It can be an ingredient. But it gives you, it's kind of what is called in the branding world, a reason to believe or a proof point. And maybe that's what's differentiating. The benefit is universal, but the, the way you achieve it is unique. So if you're a consulting firm talking about results, business results, maybe your differentiation is we hire only Ivy League you know, grads from the best business schools or something along those lines, right? It's, it's yeah. about your how. Interesting. Seems like number one doesn't really exist very well without number two. Well, number you need number two to back it up. I mean, unless you're a purely unique product. If again, if you're the only company selling cars or selling computers, you can just say, "Hey, yeah, we, you know, we got a computer now. You can do this stuff." One thing I should should say up front is all brands need all four of these things Mm -hmm. I'm about to go through. The key is which one of those four is the most differentiating for you. Ah, you're right. You still need both. You need Uh both. Yeah, you still have to talk about all, but you need to be able to point to at least one of those four, if not more, as being your primary differentiator. What makes you different? Okay. Uh, Mitch, I'm sorry, a little off topic here. I just noticed uh, the way our videos are cropping, it makes it look like I'm much taller than you. Yeah. (laughs) 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 That's a benefit. (laughs) Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Just you've got the hair, but I'm I'm taller, so there you go. Um, okay, so we have the how, and kind of the how is how you achieve that benefit. Yep. Um, anything else on the how we need to dig into, or can we move on to number three? Uh, no, I think we can move on. So number three would be why, or it would answer the question why. So if one is what, two is how, three is why. Um, you may be familiar with the idea or the concept or the term um, purpose branding. Um, or, or maybe not, but um, it's certainly been a lot of rage in the brand and marketing world. Um, Simon Sinek, if you haven't seen it, has done a great TED Talk on Start With a Why. Um, Jim Stengel, the former CMO of um, Procter & Gamble, um, has really built a brand of his own around the concept of purpose and why. And, and I, I would argue that that's a very valid differentiator for many brands. These brands, now every, again, once again, every company may have a, a why. They may have uh, values um, and, and purpose. They may have corporate social responsibility programs. But it may and not be a differentiator, right? And Yes, it may not be a differentiator, and it may not be the primary point of difference for their brand, right? It, it. One thing to, to say we have a CSR, which almost everybody does, it's another to say we actually define our brand. Like Patagonia is a great example, I think, of a why mm. brand. That brand is all about environmentalism and environmental protection, you know, doing what's right for, uh, for the earth. And their products and services are almost secondary. Yes, they have great products, of course. I think the why has gotten out of control in recent years. Pardon me? The why. I, Simon Sinek, yeah, great. Think- he comes along, 
they, you know, writes a great book. People say, wow. And maybe they're looking at these four differentiators and suddenly instead of saying, we're going to put even weight across all of them, everybody went 99% on the why and really marketers, we do this to everything, but crapped it out. We just ruined the why. Everybody says their them and their college roommate couldn't find a high quality watch at a low price. Cause you know how in college, that's the big problem you have. Um, so they started their own watch company and I call bullshit on that. Like every one of these brands. Oh, the reason why we did this is because blah, blah, blah. they make you up these why stories. And yeah, other it podcasts. bothers me. You're really pissed me. off about that one. <laughs> and I think it comes back to the why everybody's so, Oh, you have to have a why. And so it's either we give a certain percentage of our profits to charity, which really means your why is to make money. It's okay. I think to say that our why is to make money and solve our client's problem. Nobody wants to say our why is to solve this problem for our client. They seem to always want this higher level, really lofty why. I, th- I don't know. I think the why's got out of control. I, I don't disagree necessarily. I, I think it has gone a little bit over the cliff, if you will. Um, the, the thing I would say about this is why can easily backfire when it's not genuine. Um, I think customer, consumers can see through when it's, um, when it's corporate speak, if you will, and when, when it's disingenuous or, or copycat even. Um, so I think you have to be careful with it. I think the brands that do it well and are, re- are really truly defined by consumers as why brands are brands where it's very genuine. Um, and if that's not in your DNA, if that's not really who you are, I think you'll be exposed pretty quickly. Hmm. Is it okay to say our why is to make money? I don't <laughs> if you're think a hedge fund, maybe. Like we'll do anything for money is basically what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> What's our product? Forget about it. Just what yeah, do you want done? We give us money. Yeah. We'll do anything. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Like so you have to solve a problem. It causes me. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's uh, okay. So the why is important. It can't just be to make money, but uh, also don't talk at length about uh, how you and your college roommate decided to start the company. Uh, it, it might be a differentiator though that you have to look at that. You know, we have a lot of clients that have really high uh, purposes, but they actually mean it and it does differentiate them. I don't think everybody is BS. I don't and agree with that. It be compelling and motivating, right? Yeah. So it can be different and unique, but if it's not compelling, like if people can't relate to that, why and get behind it, it may not do you much good. And if you smell bullshit, it's probably yeah. bullshit. Right. <laughs> So Patagonia has got a powerful why in the sense that people care about the environment, or a lot of people certainly yes. care about the, the environment, right? Good they, one. And yeah. they actually live that. It's kind of, some companies, it's easy to come up with a why because they have a very purpose driven from the start. But some companies, you know, my company does data. You know, we're not going to have some lofty Patagonia-esque why. It's some boring behind the scenes why. It just yeah, seems like everybody is actually better than other data companies because you have a commitment to accurate data. I have to disagree. Yeah. Well, I'm going to jump in there and say, actually, our, our why is slightly different than accurate data. Um, our purpose at, at the moment, it, it shifts over time because the industry shifts, but is to simplify marketers jobs so they don't have to be data scientists in order to do the job they didn't that's a what oh suck at our why i gotta look back at that okay edit this part out Um, (laughs) no you can't edit that not allowed i'd like that's a benefit that's a benefit yeah yeah i'd like to say my comments on the uh, on the third point here the third um out of four means for for uh identifying a brand positioning 
and differentiating it. Um, those are my comments, not not Mitch's. When I uh, when I rail on the uh, people in college saying uh, talking about why they started their company with their uh, with their college roommate, um, that's just a pet peeve of mine. No worries. Got anyway, so the why why is a big one. So that's yep. number three. We got three out of four. So continuing with the journalistic um, analogy, I guess, is, mm -hmm. is who would be the fourth. And there are brands that really do differentiate based on a persona. Um, that persona could be that of their founder. You know, a really common one is um, Virgin, right, with Richard Branson. Right. Or it could be your target audience, right? We, you know, we're all about kind of, you know, skateboarding, uh, extreme sport male, you know, millennials, right? Like a Mountain Dew, for example. They, they almost define their brand and the very essence of their brand by the people that are most loyal to it. So um, two different ways, right? Founder or your kind of your target audience. But really what makes that brand so different is kind of a persona, if you will, mm -hmm. or personality. So once again, every brand has or should have a persona just like the other three, but it's, it's one thing to have one and another to say, hey, this is what's singly most differentiated about us. Like to really make the who you are as a company a... Um... Yep. Warby Parker is another great example. I would say of a who brand. I think they very much people who buy Warby Parker, they, they relate to a certain image, you know, people that wear their, their, their eyewear, um, you know, kind of young, hip, urban, you know, style conscious. And, you know, that image is as important to that brand as, as the products themselves. So their taglines like War, Warby Parker, do you own mustache wax? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I've noticed this journalistic uh, in marketing, the who, what, where, when, why, how, seems to, those seem to come around constantly. They do. So we're, we're taking the uh, what, how, why, who yep. out, of the, uh, out of the journalism for kind of your four differentiators, uh, four means for identifying a brand positioning that's truly differentiated. I have to keep reading that out so I don't chop it up. Yep, you got it. Excellent. Um, I think that's a good natural spot for us to take a, a quick break here. Um, we are speaking with Mitch Duckler of Full Search. It's a brand marketing agency about differentiating your brand. You're listening to the If You Market podcast, and we'll be right back. Market Reach offers high-end appointment setting and lead generation services, as well as integrated marketing services to help support the sales pipeline. Our clients are the small business owner that don't have the time or the interest to really move the needle in sales and the prospecting and just need a little extra help. The owner that may not be ready to hire a full-time salesperson, but still needs a steady flow of leads and has a small marketing budget for that. Or the enterprise level client that has a good number of closers and wants those closers to have more at-bats. And besides the sales appointments we'll deliver, we offer the digital side, which would include email newsletters, LinkedIn connection programs, and content development for blogs and social media. Call me, Amanda, 609-448-6364, or email me at amanda at marketreachresults.com. Welcome back to the If You Market podcast. We are speaking with Mitch Duckler of uh, Full Surge about differentiating your brand today. And uh, lovely co-host Carla Jo Helms is here with us. And I have a question for you. All right. Let's jump into it. Before break, we have these four pillars, right? The what, the how, the why, the who. Say you have that now, right? Now what? What do you do? What do you don't do? Well, the, the next step is 
is taking that positioning, that, that brand positioning or that unique point of difference and infusing it in every aspect of your brand. I mean, the, the most obvious place to go is your products and services themselves. Right. Your website. Your... Yeah, exactly. Your website, your um, the, the product, you know, if, if it's uh, if it's a sneaker, you know, how is your sneaker fulfilling that that point of difference and that uniqueness, right? That your endorser, your website, et cetera. Every aspect of the customer experience needs to be infused with that that positioning, right? And that point of difference and consistent with it. Um, otherwise, it's just more of a theoretical exercise. So do you sell like WWMDD bracelets? What would Mitch Druckler do <laughs> to, to remind marketers like, hey, you got this bracelet on. You got to actually apply your uh, what, how, why, uh, who to this uh, whatever activity you're doing. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it, but, but it is. It's, so you think about every aspect of the customer. Every aspect, everywhere that you are reaching and communicating currently, you put it in there. That's a great it's a filter. You know, yeah, totally. Okay. With that point of difference, is this what you would expect with this kind of brand? So say I did that. Okay, so I'm reporting back. Good, complied. You know, I'm a compliant client. Now what? Lather, rinse, repeat. I mean, <laughs> do it okay. over and over again. Yeah, no, Keep doing I, it in all your activities. Yeah, but, but that's really what branding is, right? You identify what your meaningful point of difference is, what makes you different and special. Um, and then you ex you infuse every aspect again of your your offer and your experience in it, and then you consistently monitor it and make sure that it is on, everything you're doing is consistent with it, and you know as we say on brand. Um, periodically, you know, over years, you want to kind of make sure that 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 positioning or that point of difference is still very relevant. So that's kind of another, you know, because people's people's preferences and, and desires change over time. So you need to make sure that it's still contemporary and, and what, how you want to be positioned. But other than that, it's really just making sure you're executing every aspect of your business in a way that's consistent with that brand. It's almost too simple. It's very simple, but yeah. it's not easy though. It's not no, easy. Honestly, I know, I know it's not, but it's actually the best things are simple, right? Doesn't you have to actually execute. So what you're saying is you got these four things, you figure them out now execute every single day go out and execute and i will tell you this one of the most uh, what i have seen in in recent years one of the most challenging environments or realms that that marketers have a ch um, difficulty in delivering on brand is digital and marketers that i find to be highly strategic and very brand sophisticated in other aspects like in developing their advertising or their promotion plan etc they all of a sudden lose their strategic thinking and their brand hat why do you think that is is that is it just you have an intern that's on tiktok making videos and you're a <laughs> professional trust based company and the and this person's making videos talking about how <laughs> gnarly the waves are this morning on the surf or something Dude. you laugh but in part yeah so i my my there's no research per se to back this up my hypothesis is there's a few things one is that the frenetic cha uh, pace of change in digital is is just overwhelming for anybody even totally oriented every day there's a new platform right that you need to master and all the nuances whether it's pinterest or instagram or linkedin or twitter or facebook and the, the platform du jour and um it becomes very overwhelming so what do you do you just start doing stuff you know and you do it because it's out there because your competitors are doing it because you're, you think your customers want it and you start executing 
without necessarily the strategic thinking and underpinning that you have in other marketing activities. I do think you're, you're right, Sky, that in, in some cases, yeah, that, you know, uh, digital and in particular social media might be delegated to a millennial, if you will, um, somebody that may really understand the nuances of the technology and the platform, but not your brand. Totally. Or your market. So maybe yeah. rather than the, the little the rubberized bracelet, people need like a quarterback uh, armband from from Mitch Mitch uh, Duckler with the, you know, with their what, how, why, who on it. So you can take every one of your interns and be like, okay, here's your here's your plays. Now go ahead and and make your things that you're going to post, but make sure you're keeping this this parameter, this brand. Yeah, with social media employees are much more front and center than they ever were in the past, right? Before it was like, hey, if you weren't in the marketing department back in the 1980s or 90s, you, you probably didn't touch a lot of uh, customers. But with, with the internet and with um, digital media and with social media in particular, your customers are, you, your employees are out there representing your brand for better or worse every day. And are they doing so in a manner that's consistent with your brand? Right, you've got, a, you've got an intern that gets an idea at two in the morning when they leave the bar and they're going to tweet out on behalf of your brand and maybe they don't have their wristband on to, uh, to double check their messaging so much. And it's just, I guess in the past it had to go through all these channels before it ended up in the, you know, in a print magazine as an ad or something like that. And now it's just went through PR or your hit ad. it, send it. Yeah. Exactly. Interesting. So when it comes to, uh, I mean, no companies make a lot of mistakes with their branding and stuff like that, but do you have any, in your past, I mean, I know you worked at Coke. Were you in charge of uh, of New Coke okay. or anything like that? No, I can't claim that. Or you won't. <laughs> no, I'm kidding you. <laughs> yeah, I I think the um, you know, I'm not. I, I don't know if I have a specific example in mind, but I think one of the most common ways to kind of go off the rails, if you will, is is when you kind of is when you lose sight of the customer and and you start you know focusing too much inward about what you think, what you want, company speak, company thought, et cetera, and you're not really understanding and representing the customer or the consumer's point of view. And I think that's the easiest way when you get to be kind of too, you know, sometimes we call it navel gazing, right? And, and you, you, you kind of lose sight of the customer or the consumer. I, I think that's probably the, the easiest recipe to kind of, you know, run astray, right? It, I don't want to say you can never go wrong by following the consumer because I don't think it's that strong, but you know, chances are if you are really in tune to who your customers are and what they respond to and what resonates with them and you deliver on that consistently, more often than not, you're going to go right. So thinking too much of, the, of your own personal why maybe and forgetting about the customer a bit and just getting in this weird little Silicon Valley echo chamber where you're getting your own your own world for what your brand is. Yeah. Well, this is the CEO's point of view. So, mm. and you know, the CEO's point of view is not always like the customer's point of view and the customer's point of view changes. <laughs> no, I will be the first to admit that I am not always right. <laughs> um, hello. Can we yeah. edit that out? <laughs> I'm not going to say anything here. Hello, some, hello. Of, some of the people in my company might listen to this. Note to the editor, take that out. Yes, please. <laughs> Let's see. Brand differentiation. You've got the what, how, why, who. It's, it's weird to say them in that order. You've got those nailed down. You're applying them to, to every bit of your marketing. Are there any particular, any particular texts that are useful 
in, uh, in applying these means? I mean, I talk about a quarterback wristband. Is there a digital version of that? Is there anything to help keep people on brand? Well, I think a lot of it's interesting because it could be a double-edged sword. So we talked about how um, social media can can really be dangerous, right? If it, especially if it's in the wrong hands, or I shouldn't say the wrong hands, but people that are using it internally aren't necessarily trained on it and understand how to, how to act in a way that's consistent with the brand. Uh, I think it can be equally powerful, right? And and I think you know you hear a lot about the term social listening, and I think. You know, social media is great for that. There's there's a lot of companies out there that don't necessarily have the ability or the the um, the wherewithal or or the resources to do you know sophisticated market research. Um, well, okay, I'd say the next best thing is just get out there on social media and and see what customers are are saying. What are their points of view on your brand? How do they think about your category? You know, and you can learn so much just by observing. And that is a really form. That's a form of market yeah, research. It it's not secondary. It's secondhand. It's firsthand, it which is valuable. Observation. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. So yeah. again, you have to be careful about generalizing, and it's not you know it doesn't have the statistical significance that a market research. But you know what? It, it's better than nothing, and and I think you can learn a lot from it. So really, the I mean, the best tech you, we do have for the people that are that are doing all this marketing is maybe that quarterback wristband. I'm gonna have to patent that. I think people might already make them, but putting your mark, your brand messaging inside, I own that. People. You are that and a mouse pad. I'd say if you're more aggressive, you could just require that your uh, your interns tattoo your your um, what, how, why, who onto their forearm. That'll work too. Yeah, why wear a wristband when you can tattoo one onto the forearm? That's that gonna, we're gonna. That's a great idea, Mitch. We're gonna do that in my company. Okay. <laughs> we'll let you know how it goes. Yeah. <laughs> Legal disclaimer: Mitch did not come. Did not uh, say we should do that. Um, so you've got a book, Mitch, uh, independent, the indispensable brand. Other than your book, obviously, you'd recommend that to people. Any other books on on branding and this, particularly the act of trying to differentiate your brand, that you'd recommend, or any other channels for information? Yeah, sure. Um, and I don't know necessarily how recent these are. These might be a few years old, but I, I'm a big fan. There, there's a book I read a while ago called What Great Brands Do by Denise Lee Yan, who's um, a thought thought leader and subject matter expert in, in the area of branding who I've always I've followed and, and admired. Um, she talks about seven principles in that book, you know, of what you know, what does what it take in order to make a brand a best brand in, in its respective category? Uh, Building a Brand Stories by Donald Miller. Um, he talks a lot about a concept that I do talk about in the book as well, brand story and, and finding your narrative and communicating your point of difference right through through the concept of story. Those are, those are a couple that come to mind. And I think there are some great podcasts out there too that um, speak a lot to the power of brand and, and the role it plays in marketing. Um. And I would say any books about the company's why, stay away from those. That's my personal opinion. Too much why out there. Um, you'll have some, but, but stay away from that. Um, that, that particular book set, maybe for a while until it cools down. Now, what about different company sizes? When it, for instance, a startup, how much do they need to be thinking about their brand from the get-go versus their product and everything else? Do they need to be looking to differentiate right off the bat? Um, like at what point in a company size should people be thinking about this differentiation? And question. then companies that are 10 years old that don't have any differentiation, should they just say, well, crap, it's too late? Or 
is it okay for them to say, you know what, we kind of dropped the ball and, and go back and rebuild this? I don't think it's ever too late. Yeah, I, I, I think brand, I mean, I, I'm probably a little biased here. I think brand is for everyone, regardless of your company size. If you think about brand as something more, which we do as consultants, and I think any brand strategist I've ever met would agree is, you know, your brand is not your name. It's not your logo. It's not your visual identity. It's not a slogan or a tagline, right? Those are all expressions of brand, but you know, your brand is essentially the essence of who you are and what you do or however we define that point of difference. And therefore, it's every bit as important for a small company that, as it is for a large. You need to understand why is it, at the end of the day, why is somebody going to purchase your product or service over that of a competitor? Right. So one yeah. is the, like your hairstyle and the clothes you wear. Yeah. Um, and that's what people see. Maybe a first impression. Um, it's part of what people, but the other is who you are as a person, who your company is. Yeah. Um, more important for that long-term differentiation than your particular yeah. style. Yeah, I, I, but but I th- and I think if you if you believe in that, you, you can see that this applies to a, a fifty person company as much as a five hundred thousand employee company of global. I've got a challenge for you. Can you think of a a product or a space where brand differentiation isn't important? Isn't there's got to be somewhere out there where it's not important? Yeah. I, I would no, I can't. I, can, I the only way I can say that brand differentiation doesn't matter is if you are a company that is completely willing to um, to go to trade on price and, and to go to market mm-hmm. on price and 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 have the lowest price. I I would and, and then maybe by by default that's your position, right? Maybe I think there are companies like well, maybe that. maybe the DMV doesn't need to worry about brand. Yeah, if you're a monopoly. <laughs> if you're a monopoly. <laughs> but no, I, I, I'm sure there are. I can't really think of many, and they're they're probably few and far between. Right. Okay, uh, that's a good point. It's so anybody listening, it's not your company. You do need to worry about brand. <laughs> well, the fact that you don't have a brand is a brand. Mm. Yeah. I yeah. mean. When you really think about it, they don't have a brand. People have branded you. People have to have something that positions them in their mind so they can sort it in one way or another. Where is it positioned? That's a great point, Carl Jordan. And, and, you know, a lot of the... Points. I get points, Sky. (laughs) Initial thought leaders in in, in brand positioning tell you that, that actually, as much as you do, you know, positioning is in the minds of the market and the customers, right? It's in the mind, yeah. You can guide them, but ultimately what they think of you is what they think of you, and, and mm-hmm. that's what matters. And and your point is exactly well taken, that if you don't position yourself, they will position you for you. Well, they will position you no matter what, but if exactly. you spend a lot of time and energy on your brand, you can have some say in, in exactly. where they put you. It's like the customer journey. You don't actually get to put them through the journey. You can just try to try to guide people on the path they're going to take. And they will either take a path through your company or somebody else who's laid out the journey they want to follow. That's great. Well, I think with anything with marketing, you're trying to be more in control and less at effect, right? At the end of the day, we still are reliant on the consumer and what the consumer is going to do. But if we are more in control of that, I think we're going to win more. Yeah, and we and we and book. In fact, I talk a lot about the difference between control and influence, right? Because I do think it is harder than ever to control, right? This is not. We, we're no longer three networks. Well, I think influence. You're right. That is the term, right? Some of it is out of your control, right? And we just have to deal with that. You know, consumers have more control now than ever before in history. Well, if it wasn't out of our control, we'd be pretty bored, don't you think? Exactly. <laughs> 
we can influence. That's right. You're right. We can. So, I mean, I guess I would say, so going back to the, uh, to the DMV, they may not need to differentiate themselves, but they still have a brand. We still all hate the DMV. What was that cartoon that actually branded them? Remember, it's the sloth, <laughs> and it was the it was the person, it was the cartoon guy, and it was the sloth, and he was getting him his, you know, driver's license. You know, what was that cartoon? So we'll have to we'll look it up and add it to the show notes. That was br- that was branded. Just like for automobiles sure. in the Soviet Union, they may not have spent a lot of time worrying about their brand. We all know the uh, what the uh, the Lada and the Vaz, all the great automobiles that came out of Soviet Russia. Um, they didn't spend any time on their brand, but they're still known as pieces of crap that don't exist. Zootopia. That was the movie that branded the okay. DMV. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So we'll put that in the show. No, we will not put that in the show notes. You can watch Zootopia on your own. Um, all right. We're coming up on the end here, Mitch. Anything else you want to put out there about branding, brand positioning, and uh, differentiating your brand before we wrap it up? No, I, I, I think we, we actually covered, I know we jumped around a bit, but I think we covered a lot of different territory. And, you know, at the end of the day, um, I, I kind of, what, why are we looking for this differentiation? Why does it matter? And, and again, I kind of go back to my key premise in the title of the book, and that is uh, make your brand indispensable. Right. And, and the way you do that is, is by being meaningfully differentiated. Um, you want to be a brand that your customers really cannot or at least choose not to live without. And, and that's why we're talking about all of this. Fantastic. And uh, everybody listening, um, you will be able to go to full search and get your uh, branded wristbands and quarterback uh, <laughs> quarterback playlists uh, for, for, for all your marketers to make sure they're following the what, how, why, and, and who of your company. Um, actually, you, you, should, uh, you should make those, Mitch. I don't know. That would be a great convention giveaway is uh, <laughs> a quarterback wristband. People could put that in to give to their, uh, give to their millennials. <laughs> Wear this to the bar. Yeah, maybe maybe make, just make a t-shirt with the check boxes of, uh, of those four things. They can make their own custom shirt and, uh, and just have all their marketers wear that every day. So anytime they're wondering about their post, they can look down at it. Absolutely. All right. Excellent. So check the show notes on ifumarket.com for more on this episode. You can find um, Mitch on LinkedIn. We'll have that, uh, that link in Mitch the show Duckler. notes as well. Fullsurge.com is his company. Go check that out. Um, also, Mitch's book, uh, Amazon bestseller status book, uh, The Indispensable Brand, Move from Invisible to Invaluable. Mitch, you made that title impossible to read without me stumbling over myself. Alliteration. It's a tongue twister. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Mitch has also got a half dozen plus podcasts he's been on out there. So uh, find Mitch on, uh, on podcasts like ours talking about, uh, about branding what um, Nick Westergaard's On Brand, Benjamin Shapiro's MarTech, and Minter Dial's Minter Dialogue podcasts. You can, uh, you can find episodes with Mitch on all of those. And again, check the show notes on ifymarket.com for, uh, for all this. You don't need to be frantically writing it down. Please uh, share us on social media, tell a friend, give us a good review on iTunes. Any one of those three will settle for, but if you're doing none of those, you owe us. And on behalf of Carla Joe Helms and the Iffy Market team and Mitch Duckler of Full Search. Thank you for listening to the Iffy Market podcast, where we believe if you market the shit out of it and differentiate your brand, they will come. 
The If You Market podcast is brought to you by Mountaintop Data. And at Mountaintop Data, we're all about data for B2B marketing. Our goal is to improve the quality, depth, and coverage of our clients' targeted marketing data while removing the technical pain of accessing and implementing data. We help with everything from new target contacts to appending and cleaning existing data, all with the goal to free you and your team up to focus on creating great marketing experiences. Check us out online at mountaintopdata.com and sign up for our new top data search tool and get free access to search our database of over 30 million business contacts. Use the code hashtag IYM when signing up and get 200 free credits. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.